Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Welcome back. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, excited to uh, stay on our series of, of testimonies and to talk about the power of a transformed life. The testimony, one of our greatest weapons uh, to uh, really talk about um, just the, the simple gospel and our stories that we were once broken, that we once thought a certain way, that we had an encounter with Jesus, and then our lives have forever been transformed. And there's nothing, you know, you can argue so many different points, but one thing that you cannot argue is the power of a transformed life. Right now I'm doing a series called Unqualified that we're doing on Friday nights. Last week I did Gideon. Um, it was just a, a blast as we moved through his life and to see somebody that was living in a conquered nation that was full of fear and that God speaks to him in his fear and as he's hiding, trying to make a living, that he calls him mighty warrior and calls him out of his current situation. This week we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul and his testimony of somebody that is, that is literally breathing out murderous threats. I mean, in the same way, whenever you think about a, a war horse of somebody that is they smell war, that they are actually looking forward to, you know, running into that and that he is trying to stop the spread of Christianity, but then he actually, God converts him and then he's used as the main catalyst to actually be able to spread Christianity. So just remarkable what God can do through a transformed life. And no different this morning, I have George Carroll with me, the director of clinical outreach of No Longer Bound, uh, a very reputable, long-standing, uh, long-term program uh, here in the Atlanta area that has helped countless men. Um, I had the privilege to meet with their president and their executive director, Sean and Ed, and just um, two guys, quality guys that um, are really heroes of mine, and just listening to how they have, um, you know, taken the program and to to make it just a model where as, as men come there that they are going to be encountered, that they are going to find out about a God who loves them, that, you know, no matter how broken that they are, that God is still interested in restoring them and, and pushing them and taking them in into their destinies. So George, um, coming up on almost a decade clean, uh, I, I am just uh, honored to have you here with me this morning yeah, and um, really interested to, uh, to hear your story, man. Share with us. Yeah, thanks, Trey. I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I love doing this kind of thing and touch on what you said. Edward and Sean, my heroes too. I mean, they've, they've made No Longer Bound what it is today. Um, Mike Harden laid the foundation, and they've kind of taken that. So I'm definitely on board with what they're doing. I mean, I, I guess I'd start with talking about my story, mm -hmm. tell you a little bit about that. I won't bore you with the details, but I'll, I'll definitely dive into, you know, my story. So, you know, growing up, had a good, great family. You know, my dad worked hard, provided, you know, he made good money. So we always had the things that we wanted and needed. Um, Christmases were great. Birthdays were great. You know, I had two older sisters, one younger. I want to stop just, just for a second. Yeah, just, yeah. So, so you came from a great family. Yep. So you didn't, you know, you weren't born into a trap house. Mm -hmm. You know, your dad wasn't manufacturing meth. Exactly. Right? That would have been so, cool. Though. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a good story. You know, and I, I think, and, and again, um, you know, it's just, it's that stigma to think that, you know, if you're born in a good family, you know, or you've got, you know, you've got a... 
you know, come from a certain socioeconomic background, that drug addiction doesn't touch that. But the reality is that you can still be born in a good family. Exactly. I mean, it, it doesn't hold back on anybody. So, yeah, good family growing up. As far as we had everything we needed, we grew up in a good home, a great area in Cumming, Georgia. So, anyways... I think for me, my main thing always growing up, I was the third child. I was the overweight child. So I was getting, getting that from you know, my siblings and at school. I think the overarching, you know, I was thinking about it on the way over here today. I think instead of just saying, hey, I wanted to fit in, if I were to be completely honest, it was, I was always clawing, pat, you know, trying to pass people and get ahead of them. And I, I've always said oh, I was just trying to fit in. That's why I used drugs and alcohol or did what, the things I did. And that always bled into who am I going to be with? How do I need to act to get what I want? And that's what I'm going to do. So that's why I, I think for me it was always, I don't even know how to describe it. Maybe you could help. But instead of trying to fit in, it was how do I stand out? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, And that progressed in middle school and high school, always being the class clown, you know, doing the bad things to stick out. And that became my identity. It really did. You know, uh, I, I was the guy that went to the parties. I had the friends. So it wasn't, it wasn't to fit in. That's what I've kind of come, come to the conclusion of. So for me in middle school, I'm starting to, you know, experiment with pot. My dad's had, has back problems. So I'm taking his medication. He had somas, muscle, all that kind of stuff. I'm taking that stuff and I'm what, what are you, you know, 12, mm-hmm. start 11, 12 years old. I'm drinking, smoking pot, and now I'm taking pills. It's crazy. And, you know, and then I'm sharing them with my friends because, again, I'm like, hey, what do I need to do to fit in or be, be the person, the go-to person? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where I found it. So I was always giving that stuff out, and that's how I made my friends, uh, which if later on in life I found to be, you know, now I'm alone later in life because I don't have that kind of stuff. Anyways, back then... So seventh, eighth grade, now I'm getting in trouble at school. I'm becoming suspended. I'm sticking out like that and just causing havoc. You know, my, my, my dad is so disappointed. I remember times coming home and him just being like, you're not my son, you know, because my son wouldn't do this. And that cut me to the core. You know, back then I re- it hurt, but I didn't realize how bad it hurt. You know, I was a punk yeah, pretty much. So... You know, going through, and then my little brother's following my footsteps, and I thought that was kind of cool. He was looking up to me, but you know, getting you know out of high school, 19 years old, I'm like, damn, dude, I'm screwing this kid's life mm-hmm. up. But in middle school, I was just like, this is cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got my brother's looking up to me. He used to be calling me fat and making fun of me. Now he's following my footsteps. Uh, you know, creeping into high school. Now I'm definitely doing some heavier drugs. Um, kind of scooting under the radar as far as at home, no one really knowing about that. But at school, everybody knew. Um, and I was labeled that. I mean, I was always in the principal's office. I was always associated with the bad crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it. I mean, I thrived off that. Do you, do you think, you know, where, the, where there's this change in trajectory of your life and you've got, um, you know, you're in middle school, you're starting to get this attention, uh, you start to get in trouble. You know, your dad comes home. He's so frustrated. Mm-hmm. You know, no longer has an inroad to be able to to speak into your life. Do you think there's any... Because, I mean, you think about all the parents right now that are watching their children and they're standing by, they're helpless. 
that is, is there anything that they can do to break in, or do you remember any types of of seasons, any church camps, anything that that even sort of even remotely checked you in that season? You know, and let me rewind. So my dad traveled Monday through Friday from heck, I was probably seven years old all the way up until I was about twelve or thirteen. So I think that's why he didn't really have any clout with me. So when he did say things, I just kind of, I think, subconsciously brushed them off. I see. And my mom was the one that was always trying to be there, but she was raising four kids. And again, my dad provided, but we didn't understand, you know, why isn't dad here? Does he love us? That kind of stuff. So to answer your question, I mean, be present. You know, if my, if my dad was more present, I think, honestly, I don't know if it would have changed anything. I think Thinking back, I'm like, man, I wish that would have been the case if he would have been there. And because every time he came home, it was discipline versus embracing. And, you know, and when he did come home when we were 12, when I was 12, and he started working from home, he was still not even there. He was on the phone. If we said, hey, Dad, we got the finger, you know, like, hey, stop. I'll be with you in a second. And then it just never lasted. So for me, it was I didn't have the father figure in my life. He was a great provider, hard worker. I, I look back now, I know he loved us. He just, I don't think he knew how to show it. So for me, it's like, hey, you know, parents, you know, instead of trying to be the fix-all, just be there for them, be present. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's strong. I didn't go to church camps or anything like that, so I can't speak to that. I don't think yeah. those would have done anything for us at the time. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's 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 just you know really good insight I think, and you know in a world that we live in, um, I've got five children, and mm. I just you know, and I know how hard it is to you know to provide and to be somebody that's driven. Um, and I thank God for my wife because mm-hmm. she's always pulling to just you know be here, be present. But uh, but anyway, man, go ahead. No, I mean, and and the touch on my mom, like she she was present, but again, it was. For she had four kids, so it's tough um, for her because my mom was always doing something. Right, you know, she was on the homeowners association for the neighbors. So she wasn't even really there. I mean, we kind of, and that's not blaming her, blaming my dad. I mean, it's just it's the fact. You know, yeah. as kids, that's the filter we have. You know, that's what we're latching on to. So, um, but you know, looking back with that that adult filter, I'm like, they they did their best. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, sure. You know, fast forward, you know, in high school, again, now I'm getting arrested. Now I'm like, I'm proving everybody right from like middle school and stuff. I was always told, you know, you're going to, you're, you know, I was told by the principal of my middle school, when I get to high school, you won't graduate high school unless it's in the back of a cop car. And that always stuck with me. And I got, you know, he was kind of right. Wow. He was kind of right in the sense that I got arrested six times in my high school career. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, whether it be for underage consumption or possession. And, you know, I lived up to that. And um, so that was a big deal. And then, you know, sophomore year of high school, I'm what, 15, yeah, 15, my dad dies of a massive heart attack. Wow. And that now I had the excuse to do the things that I was doing. So I, I did them. You know, now, I'm, now it's pills like crazy. I'm, I'm selling drugs. I'm, I'm doing all the things that I wanted to do when I was a kid, but I didn't. And now I had this excuse, you know, and no one cared at this point. It's like, you know, he's struggling. And that was always the, that even my friends said that like, Hey, 
you know, just let them be. Like, I'd get really blackout drunk at parties, and they'd take care of me because I'm struggling. Now I'm the kid that lost his dad, mm-hmm. um, which is super weird to me now, but I remember feeling like, like the black sheep extra now because I'm the kid without dad. So now I'm the kid that has the daddy issues and all yeah. that stuff. So that hurt, and that, that brought me down even further. So now you know, 17, 18, now it's heroin, cocaine, things I said I would never touch, I'm doing to, to run from, from everything that I, that my insecurities, yeah. my, all that. Wow. So as you um, were in this phase of life, your dad dies of a massive, massive heart attack. Did, did you really deal with or did you immediately start self-medicating? I know that you were already using and stuff. Immediately started self-medicating. I mean, I remember, I still think back to the day that I came home and it was so bizarre. The feeling of dad's gone, was, it was like the twilight zone. It was so weird. And I still feel that way. I'm like, I remember getting home and just being pissed. Like, not sad, not... I was just confused and pissed. It was yeah. weird, you know? And then my mom's telling me, now you got to be the, the, the man of the house and that pressure, I guess. I don't know. I didn't, I, don't, I didn't feel it then, but I could see it as it progressed. You know, yeah. every time I got in trouble, it was like, George, you're, you're supposed to be the example, yada, yada, yada. And I did not even touch grieving my father's death until I got to know Iron Bound in 2011. So he you- died in 2008. Wow. So your mom is is now trying to reach you and like pull yes. out the man that she knows that you've been that you're raised to be that mm-hmm. you're supposed to be, and then but but still has has no ability to be able to connect at that level. Yeah, and that was for a short period of time because now, you know, my mom didn't work. My dad my dad worked. She was always home with the kids. So now he's gone, and now she's got to work. Yeah, and she. And my mom, and you know what's crazy is I, I feel so bad for her. I didn't then, but now it's like, oh, my gosh. Think about her situation. She's just lost her best friend of 26 years. She's got four kids, a house that she's not going to be able to afford. Um, and she just goes to work. Now she's medicating. And the kids are just going wild. I mean, every single one of us, Kelly, Vanessa, me, Nick, in our own ways. You know what I mean? Um, Kelly and I are the same, that we went to drugs and alcohol, partying. My brother kind of dabbled in it a little bit, but his was more just acting out like crazy. You know, he was young. You know, he was 12 when Dad passed away. So, And I felt so bad for him. I mean, I remember having to get him from the bus stop that day, and just he, he crumbled. And I, I didn't know what to do. I'm sitting there like, I got to be the man. I got to be tough. You know, so there was no crying for me. Now, I would cry separate when I was drunk with my friends. That was my time to do, but it wasn't real, man. It wasn't real. I wasn't actually grieving. I was just crying because I felt sorry for myself and the situation. I think just where, where everything was at, you know? Yeah. And, you know, fast forwarding into when I hit that, that roadblock, now I'm, I'm forced to make a decision. I get arrested for a felony burglary charge. I'm 19, I'm in jail. My mom bails me out because my friend's mom makes her feel bad that I'm in jail. Bails me out. I immediately run away from the house because I was, I was living there but not. So now I'm like, I'm done 
I'm going to my buddy's house. So I, I stayed there, immediately start using again. Didn't really care at all. Six months later, she calls me and she says, hey, George, you want to go to lunch? I'm like, free food? Yeah, let's do it. Meet her for lunch at a Waffle House off McFarland, right? We're eating. We get halfway through our meal. She's crying. I'm like, what are you, what are you crying for? I was, a, I was a jerk to her. And she's looking behind me. I look behind me. There's two bounty hunters. She's revoked my bond, and now I'm in jail again. So that was ridiculous. Now I'm super pissed. Now I'm done with mom. Screw you. Whatever you felt, I don't care. We're done. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I sit in jail for about four or five months, about that long, right? And in between that, I went through these different stages of the relationship with mom, like never talking to her to, all right, now I want to get out of here. So how can I manipulate her to get me out? And then I'm like, you know what? I'm cool with whatever. She's forcing me to take a year in jail or she's never going to talk to me again. So now I'm in this pickle where do I stay in jail for a year to have a relationship with mom or do I just say, screw you, I'm not taking the deal and think about the repercussions later. So I'm sitting there and I've gone to court a couple times and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of hopping, but I go to court a couple times, four or five months in, I can't even remember how long it was I was in there. It was the last deal they were going to offer me. You know, they, they give you like three, three deals when you're in there. So the first one was like a ridiculous number for my first offense. I was like, heck no. Second was kind of the same. The third was a year in jail. And I'm sitting in the, the jailhouse courtroom cell. And I'm like, I'd heard about No Longer Bound from a friend. In fact, I was picking this friend up from No Longer Bound to get high and dropping him back off. Super weird, right? His grandfather worked at No Longer Bound. And I remember him mentioning, yeah, you know, I worked there and I could live there. And so I'm thinking it's like a halfway house type deal. I throw this name out. Hey, ask him about No Longer Bound. Because I'm trying to go to the military. I'm trying yeah. to everything, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm 19. I'm looking at, yeah. in my mind, I'm like, they're going to throw 10 years at me. Needless to say, that probably wasn't going to happen. But that's the way I was feeling. So I was clawing. Let me do the Navy. Let me do. And the judge was like an ex-naval officer. So the, the uh, lawyer was like, you'll probably get that. He shut it down quicker than anything. I was like, crap. Tell, tell him about No Longer Bound. I'll go to No Longer Bound. They instantly, they knew No Longer Bound. This was Gwinnett County. They were like, absolutely, he's got 30 days going. I didn't even step foot in the courtroom. They wow. were like, go to No Longer Bound. I get out two days later. I'm riding in the car with my mom. I call up No Longer Bound. Tim Price was the guy that answered the phone. He was doing admissions at that point. And he was like, yeah, it's going to be four grand. I hung up on him. I'm like, I don't have four grand. My mom was like, George, what the heck? And I said, just take me home. As soon as I got home, I, I left. And now I'm at my buddy's house again, straight using. Um, but I had my probation officer was like, you've got 30 days. And if you're not in that program, you're going back to jail. I'm not even kidding you. I called Tim Price up again. I'm like, hey, dude, I don't have four grand. He's like, that's cool. Do you have any furniture, a car, or anything like that? I'm like, no. He's like, all right, let me call you back. Calls me back. He's like, hey, write a letter of why you should be in here. So I started writing a letter, and then my mom finished the letter for me. <laughs> I mean, I was just the yeah. biggest loser, man. I really I couldn't take ownership of anything, and I, I wanted it, but I wasn't willing to do everything for it. Wow. You know what I mean? So she writes the letter. She sends it in. They immediately say, your mom wrote this. I'm like, no, she didn't. And Tim's like, whatever. <laughs> Coming for an interview that Monday. Well, I'm not joking. That was, we're on like the 25th day. So it's a Thursday. 
So you have Friday, 20, 26th day, Saturday, 27th, um, Sunday's the 29th, Monday's the 30th. He calls me back Friday morning and said, hey, come in Tuesday because Monday's our golf tournament. I'm like, dude, that is like the 30th day. If I don't get in, I'm done. I come in Tuesday. They literally took me in with $200 to my name, and that saved my life. Wow. So... Can I, can I just... I want to back sure. up just real quick. Yeah. I'm on like a half a cup of coffee, so I'm... I'm ready. Come at me. <laughs> so, you know, going back to your mom, I mean, really doing an intervention. You got bounty hunters. Um, but, you know, we've touched on this before, but I, but I feel like that, that parents need to understand this, is that, you know, when you get to a place where you're, you, you know, you're getting high, um, you know, I hear this all the time, you know, you, you, you need the, you know, you need the addict to choose, you know, that it needs to be their choice. And while I get that, mm-hmm. you know, and at some level, there's got to, got to be some ownership. The reality is, is that when, when you, when you start using or when an addict starts using that they can forfeit the ability to be able to choose. Sure. And that family can get on a united front and then <clears throat> step in and just say, look, we know that you don't even have it in you to choose what you're supposed to. This is my, my dad did this for me a million times. Mm-hmm. I, it drove me nuts nuts during, you know, during active addiction because they would always figure out a way to jerk the rug out from under me. But I just think about your mom going to the links of just saying, hey, I will put you back in jail oh. to save your life. Let, and you know what? I don't even know why I didn't say it, but let me go back to that. The, the strength and the love that it took for her to do that for me, incredible, because she got so much crap from her friends. I mean, friends she knew for 20 years. We're giving her, like, you, how could you do that to your son? You're a terrible person. I mean, I don't know wow. the exact thing she was getting, but I, so I'm, I'm at No Longer Bound, and now I'm working through my stuff, and I'm going through, now I'm going through this other stage with her. I'm like, okay, cool, I was mad at her. Cool, I don't want to talk to her. Now I'm at, like, the point where, okay, I'll talk to her to get what I want. And now I'm like, holy crap, yeah. the amount of strength and love that it took that woman to do what she did. Yeah. Knowing that I could possibly go to jail for X amount of years and we wouldn't see each other, right? She still did it, and it saved my freaking life. It really did. I mean, even when I got out and I started using again, I wanted help. I mean, we all want help to an extent. We're just not willing to put that work into it. That's where that switch turns back off. Yeah. So it was just powerful, man. She she is – now we have a great relationship. Talk almost – I call her every day almost just to say, hey – and I'll thank her every once in a while. I'll be like, hey, thanks for doing what you did. Because now I'm nine years, almost nine years removed from that. Yeah. And now I'm the man that she wanted me to be. Now I'm the man that my dad would want me to be. Now I'm the man, you know, now my siblings call me for advice, which is super weird. Because mm-hmm. uh, that never was the case. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. were the ones always giving me advice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But I think about this, too, because... You know, on the front end, because you could easily now still be an active addiction mm-hmm. on your 17th treatment center. Mm-hmm. You know, but the reality is, is that that you went in on the beginning and you had some legal pressure. But I think about, I mean, that, that it's a hard sell, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, for somebody that maybe doesn't have the courts standing over them and saying, you know, you're, it's either you're in jail or you're in treatment. <clears throat> Anybody takes treatment on that deal. But I think that if people can understand on the front end you know, that, that you either pay now or you pay later. Yep. And while, while you're not, you know, you're not going to have, your mom's not going to have a 43-year-old you know year old alcoholic living in her basement mm-hmm. is because you did the work on the front end and stayed 
and went through the process, you know, of, of what otherwise could have been, you know, a disaster. Yeah, and that's funny you just said that. Um, either you pay now or you pay later. Yesterday at No Longer Bound, we did what we call Bless This House. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it on social media or anything like that. but Yes, I saw that. Before the, before the uh, installation and sheetrock went up in the, inside the dorm, all the residents and staff, some board members got together, wrote their names, their fav- favorite Bible verse or quote, right? The quote I wrote uh, was, later can become never, do it now. Super simple, but it's so true. And it lines up with what you just said, like, later becomes never, later can become never. Because I always said, I'll do that later. I mean, I did it when I got out of jail. Yeah. Uh, I got 30 days, I'll do it later. It almost became never because I hung up on Tim. And if I didn't give him a call back, I would have never gotten back in, gotten into no iron bounds. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I just that, that's always the thing on the front end is that that every you know typically that that, that people are looking for the easier, softer way, and, mm-hmm. and you're inviting them in of saying, look, all the data, everything points to the longer that you stay in a good environment, you know, in a good therapeutic environment, your chances of long-term recovery go up exponentially. Oh, yeah. You know, but everybody wants the, you know, I'm going to go to detox for five days and then go back to work, you right. know, or I'm going to go do 28 days and then, you know, and I'm good. And, and looking for that and knowing, like, you haven't even got it out of your system yet, mm-hmm. you know, in, in most cases. And, and yet, you know, you think that you've been able to, you know, reprogram yourself and get the tools necessary. You know, one thing that I, that I, you know, I talk to my clients a lot about is, you know, is about boxing, you know, and I just say, hey, I can teach you the, the six punches of boxing in about 90 seconds. Like, do you think mm-hmm. that you're ready for the ring, you know, tomorrow? You think you're Absolutely. ready for the ring? You know, I mean, in the way that you train for war and realizing that, you know, temptation is coming. It's not... If it comes, it is like it is when it is coming. Like you're going to be tempted, you're going to have cravings, you're going to be in situations that are going to be overwhelming, and that if you haven't stayed in the process long enough to be able to learn how how to negotiate life in a different way, you're going to get chewed up and spit out. Absolutely. And so it just it's just really cool to sit here with you to realize like you know you you weren't the guy that was like begging for treatment. Right. You know you were kind of forced into it, but mm-hmm. though you went in. You know, and then the transformation that took place because you stayed in there in the long term. Absolutely. And it was the day I got or it was the next day because I got there 10 in the morning, kind of still fuzzy. Um, the next day I'm, I'm at work because we worked there on property and I knew I was never going to leave. I wasn't going to leave the program before I finished it. I knew that right then. And it was something about what the other employees had there. You're like, man, I want that. I want that bad. And, you know, just to kind of cap off my story, I graduate in Ironbound. I stay for the additional year of internship. Now I'm gaining all this other responsibility. I graduate the internship and I am invited on as an employee, right? I, two, three months later, I meet my now wife, Carly, which was incredible. And I give her a lot of credit for me still being sober today. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, I worked at Ironbound and that's you know, it's what we do. But she was a big, big part of me staying. I was still young. I'm 22 or 21 at that time. It's a big deal. So I have a wife. I have a house, future family. Like, all these things that weren't in the cards for me are now in my hands. Yeah. Um, And I was telling this to someone the other day. They asked, like, so what do you do now? What do you 
have in place now to keep you from relapsing. I'm like, man, there's, I'd have to run through about 20 roadblocks and not just walls, like roadblocks to pick up the phone and call somebody to get drugs yeah. or sorry, pick up the phone and try to find someone who sells drugs. Cause I don't even know where to get drugs now. So all that being said, there's so much to lose. And I know everyone, you know, who's been in addiction had, has had that at one point, but for me, it's, it's special for me. Yeah. And I think it was because I got it young, you yeah. know, and I hadn't lost my business, my wife, my kids before. Um, I think it, I attributed it to getting it early, being lucky enough to get it early. Because like you said, I really, it wasn't that I was like begging for it. Yeah. It got forced on me and, you know, I've always been a driven and like passionate person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when someone said, hey, you've got to do this or like, hey, this is going to be hard. I was like, took on the challenge. Yeah. And man, I owe so much to no longer bound to my mom, to my family in general uh, and the people around me. Yeah. You know, because now I have friends for who I am, not for what I give or what I have. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a big deal, man. It is. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, I, I just and, and, and a parent, you know, right now that's listening to this podcast and they're thinking about their son and, you know, every family member has has turn their back on them in the sense of, you know, not because they're horrible family members, but whenever you see somebody consistently make terrible decisions, Mm -hmm. you know, and you see that the drugs are driving this individual and you get to the place where it's like, you know, hey, I can't talk to him anymore. You know, I just, I feel like, yeah, we can pray and, you know, maybe God does the miracle. But in reality, it is, I don't see any hope for this person. And to know that your mom was there and then, but then also to know that she took very drastic steps, even mm-hmm. taking a lot of heat from her own friends, but oh, yeah. because she did that. And that's always the thing, you know, it's just that, you know, what does love look like? And, and I think the difference is of, of being able to accelerate this process is saying, you know, if your kid's struggling, you know, you, you, you don't give them a new car in an apartment, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I, I just, you know, you hear this stuff sometimes and you're like, like, what, like, where are you coming from? The, 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 the good heart and the intention Exactly, there, the intent is hurt. Yeah, exactly. Right. I totally see what you're saying. And then, you know, people call it tough love. That's what we're kind of talking about right now. But it's not tough love. Just it's another form of love, the pure, pure side of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't have children, so... You know, I tell people every day, hey, kick them out of the house, take their car away. You're right. That's easy for me to say because it worked for me, but I don't have kids. You yeah. have kids. So you're probably sitting there like, ooh, you know, I preach it now, but, you know, if it ever, God forbid, ever happened and you had to do it, I'm sure it would be the toughest thing you'd ever have to do. Oh, I, I got a dose of it because I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm real, you know, I mean, it's just the kind of the nature of what we do is that we're, you know, we're cutting through mm-hmm. BS ultimately, you know, all day long and, and cutting to the chase. It was so funny. I was at church, and um, you know, my kids are in Sunday school, and the director had to come and talk to me about one of my children. Uh, and it was, and he just pretty much like, you know, your kid picked up a chair today, threw it, or she she, she said this, and you know, I mean, this is just a kid that picked up a chair. And I'm literally, and like my gut reaction was, it's like, I'll take my kid and go to another church, you know? <laughs> and then, but I yes. think about what I'm telling parents all day long, and, mm-hmm. and I had to realize of like, look, if, if it was somebody else's kid that throws a chair and hits my kid, I mean, I'm going to be livid, you mm-hmm. know? And I mean, I'm going to want that parent's, you know, their heads. And so, 
you know, now I've, I've got more compassion. You know, I, I want to be direct, but at the same time, I realize, like, this is your most precious possession. You've mm-hmm. raised them. You know, you've done your absolute best. Like you were talking about your parents, you know, my parents, you know, how they try to do their best to raise us well. And, and yet when they lose that inroad to be able to reach us, it, how hard that is is to come to realize, like, oh, my gosh, like my, my kid is a drug addict, and I want to be able to help them. And I've got to go everything. I've got to go against everything, like my natural instinct mm-hmm. to be able to do that, and um, and to just try to have more compassion whenever I talk with them. But uh, you know, I just it's just been such a a, a good session this morning, just listening to your story. Um, you know, just how dynamic it is. But now, just to see you sitting here, mm-hmm. you know, full of confidence. You know, a transformed man mm-hmm. um, that's being used by the Lord to to, to minister to so many people. And to um, you know, help them get in, uh, you know, get the get the help that they need. Mm-hmm. So just really cool, man. You got any final thoughts for us? No, man. I mean, I think we covered everything. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I really did. I, I love doing this this kind of thing, and because like you were saying, there's going to be that one person that hears it, and I'm a you know I'm good with that. If just one person hears it, and it changes the way that they think or the decisions they make. Then I think we've done our job. Yeah, I agree with you, man. It has been good and uh, so grateful to have this time with you. You guys are doing incredible work and we will do it again soon. Absolutely. All right. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.